Welcome to Signs of Life, exploring survival of consciousness. Brought to you by Forever Family Foundation on the web at foreverfamilyfoundation.org. I call your name, the echo is haunting, the echo is always the same. I call your name, the echo is haunting, an echo can never be changed. So I call your Hello and welcome to Signs of Life Radio. This episode is dedicated to your personal experiences. Everyone has a story to share and we invite you to share yours tonight. Many of us have had personal experiences that define mainstream thinking and we'd like you to join us as we explore the types of experiences that people have, what they mean, and how we can integrate them into our daily lives. Although mediums provide a valuable connection to the deceased, this particular show centers around your direct experiences, which do not involve a medium. So I'd like you to please get your pen and paper handy so I may give you the telephone numbers to call and join our conversation. 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831. I'm Kimberly Savedra, Director of the Comlock Center, and my co-host tonight for Signs of Life Radio is Dr. Betty J. Kovach, author of The Miracle of Death, There is Nothing But Life, and the international award-winning Merchants of Light, The Consciousness That is Changing the World. Welcome, Betty. <laughs> Thank you. It's just Kim and ja- uh, and I am here, the two of us. Janet is on vacation where she can't get any calls. <laughs> and that's the kind of vacation we all need, I think, from time to time. So Kim and I are here, and we really hope that you will call in. When Kim was reading that, I was thinking about the difference between uh, a medium and your own direct experience. I have certainly seen people's lives absolutely transformed through the communication uh, by a medium. And and that is wonderful. But it is also important that we all know that we all have the biological, spiritual abilities to connect with the other world. And that it's so important for us to remain open to it, uh, know that that is our heritage to be connected to the other dimension of reality. It makes such a difference in the way we feel our lives and live our lives. So this show is dedicated to direct experience. And you know, when when we have a direct experience, this is going to relate to something else I'm going to talk about in a minute. When we have direct experience, we feel it. If it's a deep experience, we feel it. We know it. It's something that changes our lives. And for us, that's proof. Isn't it? Yes. <laughs> we, we just, yes. That is proof. But then when someone else hears about it, they say, oh, well, that's just an anecdotal experience. And we can't, that doesn't prove anything. So I want to recommend something to you tonight. Uh, and probably many of you, maybe all of you know about this, that uh, the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies offered uh, an award, in fact, a $1 million award for 
anyone who could write an essay that would prove our survival after death. <laughs> now, earlier in my life, no one would even have thought about this, but we've come a long way in the last half century. And we've come very far because someone did write an essay and did win <laughs> the award, but there were also several others who wrote such convincing essays that instead of giving the first prize winner $1 million, he received half a million, and the other half a million was divided among other writers. <laughs> That's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, it is. And uh, so this was, I want the winner, the first prize winner was Jeffrey Mishloff. And Many of you know him, have seen his interviews. For years, he had thinking aloud on television, and he now has new thinking aloud, and he's written books, and he's he's really, uh, well, Kim and I know him, and we think he's a wonderful person. Uh, I did several interviews with him, and uh, he wrote the award-winning essay. And you can go to uh, the internet and have the whole essay, and you will love it because he he explains in detail everything, and then he has clips of interviews with scientists and mystics and all kinds of experiencers. So it, it's just very interesting. You can read part of it, and then you can listen to the clips. By the time you get through with it, you probably won't have any questions about survival. I mean, the, the evidence is just astounding in all kinds of cases, whether they are uh, near-death experiences or deathbed visions, or reincarnation, after-death communication, or electronic uh, communication. Uh, and it just is very lively because you read and then you can listen to the people who've had these experiences. So uh, if the link is, you just go to beyondthebrain.bigelowinstitute. I don't need the dot, but I will. Oh, no, you probably do. But at any rate, you will see uh, the Bigelow Institute and Beyond the Brain, and you click that, and there is this beautiful essay. And um, so Kim and I enjoyed uh, these so much, we thought we'd share a few of them with you if you don't call in. But if you call in, <laughs> we would love to hear what you have to say. But about proof, I want to say just a couple more things. Um, you know, most of my life, in the university, where I, when I went to university, when I taught in college, is that if anything came up about this kind of experience that so many of you have called in and shared with all of us, it was just, well, that's, as I said earlier, that's just, that's just your experience. You could have made it up, whatever. Well, it's kind of interesting because I think uh, Jeffrey has a wonderful quotation at the beginning of his study, and I want to read it to you. It's from F.C.S. Schiller, S-C-H-I-L-L-E-R, philosophy professor at Oxford University. And this is what he says. Simple facts can never be proved, or single, I should say. Kim's pointing it out to me. Single facts can never be proved except by their coherence in a system. But since facts come singly, anyone who dismisses them one by one is destroying the conditions under which the conviction of new truth can arise in the mind. And that is so true, isn't it? I've always said with synchronistic events or these events that are called anecdotal events that, well, let's just hold it in our consciousness. Don't just dismiss it. 
as, oh, well, I just made that up or oh, you just made it up because we experienced, we know we didn't make it up if it's very powerful uh, or that's just a coincidence. Oh, yeah, so that's I, a good one. That's yeah, a common one. It's a common one. And especially when it's synchronistic. Mm -hmm. But I think this is a wonderful way for him to begin his essay is that it is when you take all of these facts or all of these events and then allow them to reveal their coherence, that they're very much supporting the same kinds of things, then the pattern of coherence arises in our minds. And we know we can't dismiss it. Uh, earlier, I had uh, recommended a book by someone that I, he actually is a member of Forever Family Foundation. He knows Bob Ginsburg very well. And he wrote a book taking a similar position. His is Step Into the Light, Transform Your Fear of Death by Learning About Life After Life. It's uh, Dr. Piero Calvi Paracetti. That's P-A-R-I-S-E-T-T-I. And his book is... And he's an MD. He's an, he's an MD, yes. Step into the light. And he says also, in using all of these different kinds of experiences, that it's actually, he says, it's all of this reveals. When you look at all of the experiences within each of the types of experiences that we have with those who have passed on into the other dimension, that it is the collective weight of all these sources of evidence, and that reveals an astounding yes to life after death. So I think that if you don't know the book by Dr. Pertusetti, that Step Into the Light would be something that you would really enjoy because he goes many, many instances and examines them from a scientific point of view, uh, discusses the quality of the experience, and then he shows how the weight forms a pattern that simply cannot be dismissed. But um, that is one book that I had suggested earlier. But uh, we're hoping that you will go to uh, Jeffrey Mishloff's uh, essay, Beyond the Brain. Let's see. It's um, oh, I want the whole the, oh. title. Beyond the Brain, The Survival of Human Consciousness After Permanent Bodily Death. Oh, that's an interesting one. <laughs> it is because, you know, we can have uh, near-death experiences, although in uh, in the uh, in in Britain they call it the psychiatrists there have been trained they call it actual death experience because you're a flatliner when you have these things mm -hmm. and there's no way that you could uh, not much brain activity at no, that point none whatsoever to create within <laughs> yeah so I, I'm really thinking that you will enjoy this I mean you this particular audience will love this long essay with the videos. But uh, Kim and I thought, if you don't call in and we're waiting, I don't see anyone. Do you, Kim? Has anyone <laughs> dialed us yet? Not just yet. <laughs> we might get our feelings hurt and think you're not dialing since Janet isn't here. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I'll give uh, the first one. And it's, uh, and it, Jeffrey starts the, the essay with this, with an experience that he had when he was 25 years old. And he said it was the most profound experience he ever had. And he talks about my great uncle Harry. And he died in 1972. And he talks about when they were kids, uh, I mean, all of the family, they would go on Sundays to see, or Saturdays, I don't know which, uh, to see uh, great uncle Harry. And he had a little grocery store. And so then... Uh, 
by the time that Jeffrey was in university, he hadn't seen him for quite a while. He was 25 years old and uh, Uncle Harry appeared and spoke about his life. He appeared, it was like a, a vision or a dream. And he addressed personal issues. He said that penetrated me to the very core of my being. He was 50 years older than Jeffrey. Yet in this dream that seemed more real than waking reality, we shared a soul to soul communication that defied description. Now, as a child, Jeffrey had remembered his great uncle as the one who would take him into his grocery store with all the other kids and give them ice cream. <laughs> but he said, I awoke and wept, crying joyful tears and simultaneously singing a sacred Hebrew song. Normally a song that is reserved for the most sacred Jewish observances. Something profoundly beautiful and transformative had touched me. Neither before nor since have I had a dream embodying such an intensely sublime emotional state. Now, this is interesting because he didn't have that relationship with his Uncle Harry when he was little, hadn't seen him for a long time, but there was clearly a profound connection between them. He, uh, the next morning when he got up, he he wrote his mother. And as soon as she received the letter, which was two days later, she phoned him and told him that his uncle, his great uncle had died oh, wow. when he was having that experience, actually. Oh, my. That she said her voice was suffused with emotion. And she asked me, how did you know? That's when he died. Oh, my God. And then so he he described and told his mother the dream. Uh, he said it was the most earth-shaking and unforgettable experience of, of his life. Uh, his visitation, he says, convinced me beyond all doubt that the soul exists and survives physical the physical body's death. Now, he was 25. That's a wonderful experience to have at 25 and to know that. Now, many of you have called in with experiences in which you know, you don't need anyone to tell you, you know that that was a profound experience that changed your life. But if you try to tell it to someone, they could immediately reduce it mm -hmm. in value, in language. And that's why we have this program so that, that you can call and have a, a place where that's not going to happen. Where we know that there, we know if we've experienced it, we don't need anyone to tell us it's proof or not proof. But from a rational perspective, it's when we put them all together. But certainly that changed Jeff's life to have that uncle appear to him at that time. I would bet that was a, a defining moment. And mm -hmm. I wonder how much that particular experience um, may have impacted the studies he went on to pursue and mm -hmm. his interest and his thinking aloud and then the new thinking aloud that's now on oh. YouTube. By the way, he, you, you, I don't remember that you had said this, but he used to have a, a program on public television yes. called Thinking Aloud. And yeah. then years later, he had the program New Thinking Aloud, which he mm -hmm. um, does based on YouTube. There are many, many, many different subjects and oh. experts and he he has quite a, an immense library oh he does yeah library is it yeah. if you go to um 
his website where he has all of the interviews, you'll be absolutely amazed from years ago. He has, he has some of the top people really in the world who have done incredible research and had incredible experiences. And it is a library mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. very few others. I forgot to add that Jeffrey asked his mother if she would send him some object from his great uncle because to, to hold dear to him because oh. of that experience. And she did. And it was uh, a book that uh, revealed that he was an Hasidic Jew, a mystic. Mm. And he realized here he had seen his uncle as this dear man who was kind to the children, but he didn't really know that he was a mystic. Mm. And interesting, they had some type of connection, obviously, uh, which uh, brought about the the visitation of the uncle at the time of his death. Um, So I think that it, he was, he was, this, the book that he sent was, uh, was, uh, uh, from Hasidic Judaism. Uh, okay, so that's one. And, uh, Kim, I think you found some that you found interesting too. Oh, right. This one is, okay, the, this is another one that was gleaned from Jeffrey's essay. And this one is about someone from beyond the veil, who was concerned about paying a debt that she had left <laughs> um, behind. And so this one was reported in 1842 by a Catholic priest named Charles McKay. Um, so he had moved to new assignment in Perth, Scotland, when he was approached by a Presbyterian woman named Anne Simpson. And Anne described a repeating dream where a woman that she had known kept coming and insisting that she contact a priest on her behalf because she owed an amount of money. And she apparently felt like the Catholic priest would take up that charge and find out to whom the money is owed and settled her debt, settle her debt for her. So Ann Simpson didn't know who was owed, but Reverend, they called him back then, Charles McKay began asking around if and eventually contacted a local grocer who, through checking his books, found that Malloy, the woman who had visited Ann Simpson in her nightly dreams, did owe exactly the sum, which was three and ten pence. <laughs> and so Reverend Charles McKay settled the debt for the required sum. <laughs> this is really convincing, and it's just short, but it's it's an anecdote that's very convincing because no nobody except the woman on the other side would be concerned about her debt or no, probably. Yeah. Well, someone might know she owed oh. a debt, but oh, yeah. uh, they'd be so concerned about getting it paid. Oh, and that she would, it was a repeated dream, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she was... It is really wonderful. She wanted that debt paid, yeah. and surely the priest would take care of oh it. Oh, my God. That reminds me of something very personal that I'll just go ahead. There's something about being in arrears at the time of your death, too, that might, for some people, mean something. Yeah. My mom um, passed away at the end of November, and there was some issue in the in the coming weeks about a Social Security check that had been deposited and then withdrawn, and it was a surprise to my my dad. And I mean, and he was so upset that, I mean, first of all, that she had lived almost the whole month. And then because she had died on the 29th, she, her social security 
um, check had been taken away. And so there were some credit issues because that mm-hmm. had happened. And he was so upset and he was so sobbing. And he just, but what he, the way he internalized it was like, they said she's in arrears. Like he couldn't handle that the bank said she was in arrears. Oh, oh yeah. And it just, it was heartbreaking. Uh, it was heartbreaking well, because they had never they happen to not have been in that circumstance before. And it, oh. it just seemed like some slight, a huge, huge slight. Well, you yeah, know? that's interesting because to die owing someone, and here it was the father who was grieving because she was said to have owed something. Oh, uh, right. it's And this woman clearly was of the same uh, kind of mm-hmm. character is mm-hmm. that she could not leave this world with that. Wasn't okay with her no, <laughs> to I have her unsettled three and ten, three and ten pence. <laughs> three and, and ten pence. So, well, yeah. there it is. It's a, yeah. You want to give, that's what you're doing? Yes, okay. this is what I'm doing. I'm giving the call in numbers again. 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831. This is the fourth Thursday of the month, and that means it's time for your personal stories. So we want to hear from a few of you, please. We get a little brave on, a little boldness, a little courage. Just obviously us and the chickens here tonight. That's right. Well, just remember how much it means to you to have somewhere to share these with. And I mean, I know some of the people who are in our Visionary Explorers group listen to this program too. Mm-hmm. And and it just means so much to be able to share this kind of thing in a sacred space mm-hmm. where it will be honored and not denigrated. And um, when you venture out and share, other people get the courage and the validation that they may so desperately need in their lives. Mm-hmm. Well, and no, no need to be nervous about it because as I said, it's a uh... It's the one place, well, there may be many others, I don't know about them, but here at least is a place where people will honor and respect your experience. And I want to say, too, sometimes the experiences seem meaningful to us, but we're not sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very often I've had experiences in which I wasn't sure whether, and then there have been others which are absolutely new, like Jeffrey's, it changed my life. But uh, sometimes when we just hold on to those that we're not too sure about, they begin. I had that experience yesterday that I had had an experience after one experience that I'd had after uh, my son's death. uh, And I had never written about it because I I thought that's kind of strange. (laughs) And yesterday I heard Patricia Cote Robles talking and she said exactly something I had experienced. Oh, well, (laughs) you know, when someone else has the same experience, then you begin. That's that holding on to it, not dismissing it. And then when you find someone else who's had the same experience, then you think, okay, let's look into this more deeply. Let's Mm -hmm. see. It's a more convincing. That reminds me of like when you have shared before about when there's a scientific breakthrough in one area of the world, other places of the world, completely unrelated um, events start taking place. But they're essentially the same kind yeah. of knowledge coming through that's true and cropping that, up that is a phenomenal thing uh or with the crystallization of uh things that that's when it happens in one place it happens in others that's something we need to question and keep open to understanding do we have a caller yes. great <laughs> hello deb hi there um we had a very interesting uh thing that happened um our son passed away in 2020 
and a very close friend of ours. He's a very straight-laced person who doesn't believe in any of this woo-woo stuff. Um, he uh, looked out his back window and saw that an area where they have uh, Christmas lights strung together uh, to light up a particular area where um, we would all gather and have beers and and uh, enjoy each other. And it was one of my son's favorite places to go. Um, that it was lit up. And the thing that was odd about it is that it was only lit up in one area. And like, you know, Christmas lights, uh, they are, when you plug them in, they're, they're all on the same string, right? So right. this was strange because they were, they were just lit up in this one area. Uh, and so he went outside to investigate, and they were not plugged in. Oh, boy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So he called his oh wife God. and he's like, you know, come out, come out here. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? And sure enough, she was seeing what he was seeing. And so he plugged them in and they all turned on and he unplugged them and they all turned off. And he's like, oh, crap, I think I just messed things up. But oh. nonetheless, uh, <laughs> that was a, just a very <laughs> clear sign from our son uh, who oh. loved that particular area that he was uh, alive and well, uh, just uh, on the other side of the veil. Oh, beautiful. Well, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, that you know it was your son. And it's interesting that uh, lights, they very often people receive that kind of thing through electricity, lights. I never have, but Uh so many people have. And I think that's wonderful. It wasn't even plugged in. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we have we have a dozen uh, electricity stories. <laughs> my, what, oh, tell us, tell us another one. So, Do yeah. you have another you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, we uh, we have a, a one of those touch um, faucets, you know, that's uh, that you have in your kitchen where you touch it and it turns on, touch it and turns off. Yes. And um, so I was. This was pretty soon after he had passed, and I was um, pretty upset and crying. And all of a sudden, it started just going off wildly, just on and off, on and off, on and off, on and off. And uh, sometimes that happened, uh, just naturally, uh, if the base got wet. So, you know, we I stopped crying, and we went over there and, and wiped the base off, and it was still going. And so we're like, well, okay. So my husband unplugged it. It was still going. Oh, there you go. Oh, I love that. Jerry's out. Jerry's back. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so, right. And it they, they actually have, like, a battery backup. So he took the battery out, and it went for another few times, and then it stopped. I'm like, okay, Dean, all right, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's all right. Thank you. And it stopped me from crying. Oh, so, so sweet. Yeah, he, yeah he's, he's very it's, good at that. Um, you know, and when you have something like that and you get that, you know, like we know things, but when you get uh, evidence like that, it kind of like, oh, my God, it's really true. <laughs> you know, you kind of are reassured yeah. all over in a new way, don't you think? Oh, with, without question. I mean, when electricity goes off or lights go off or whatever, when they're not plugged in, <laughs> you're find something <laughs> you going take on. take that seriously. That's very telling. <laughs> oh, well, thank yeah. you. That's a wonderful, wonderful Thank you, Darren. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. There was uh, there was another experience that uh, that I had read years ago uh, by uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and probably most of you know her. She was one of the first persons who really started 
speaking publicly about the continuation of life after death. And she suffered tremendously. I mean, people were cruel, really, to her. I mean, how could someone even say such a crazy thing? But she did, and she gave her evidence that, uh, from uh, patients who had died and got in touch with her or with others. But I thought, oh, I hope Jeffrey used that particular one because I couldn't find it in my books. And he did. And so I want to just read that to you. It's just, it's just, it's a wonderful experience. And as he writes it, at the time at the time of the after death communication occurred, Kubler Ross. This was a communication she's going to tell about. And at that time, Kubler Ross was experiencing burnout. Her seminars on death and dying had deteriorated. She had decided, even though she hadn't told anyone, to quit her work at the University of Chicago. And then she was burned out because of the reactions of people too. Mm. Um, she was about to announce her decision. Uh, to a new minister with whom she was working, when suddenly a woman appeared and asked uh, to walk with her, with Kubler-Ross, to Kubler-Ross's office. As they walked, Kubler-Ross recognized this woman as the memorable Mrs. Schwartz, a former patient who had been the first person to report a near-death experience to Kubler-Ross and had died 10 months previously. The woman was insistent Kubler-Ross mustn't abandon her work on death and dying. She even insisted Kubler-Ross promise her right then and there that she would continue this work. Uh, Kubler-Ross, recognizing the situation's astonishing gravity, asked Mrs. Schwartz to write a note. Kubler-Ross describes the event's emotional intensity this way. And this woman with the most human, no, not human, (laughs) most loving smile, Knowing every thought I had, and I knew it, it was thought transference, if I've ever experienced it, she took the piece of paper and wrote a note. Now, Kubler-Ross kept that uh, piece of paper as physical evidence of this remarkable event. And, of course, she continued to talk about it in public appearances. Uh, And she, she agreed uh, to Mrs. Schwartz, agreed to to her. She told her yes. She would uh, keep. Uh, she would not abandon her work. She would keep on doing the work on death and dying. Now, when I first read that, when I first heard that, in fact, I actually heard about Kubler Ross from my students when I was teaching mm. in college, and one of them had been uh, in the audience when she told that story. I just thought that was oh, extraordinarily remarkable because here. Not only does she get a communication from the other side, but this woman physically appears. How is that? You know, we ask, how is that possible? But the woman appeared, and not only that, Cooper Ross was smart enough to get some evidence. She actually wrote the note, and she had her signature. Wow. And this is used. I mean, people have seen it. They know. Mm-hmm. And uh, the date and everything, they know that 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 is a very good piece of evidence. You know, when you start studying this kind of thing, you get so much evidence that is just absolutely astounding that you think, well, why would it be dismissed so lightly? But people haven't seen the kind of evidence that if you make a determined effort to see it, you're going to be convinced. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Right. Yeah. Probably looking through the eyes of the typical limited perception that they might have been viewing things through the yeah. whole time. Yeah. And then the evidence isn't, it isn't really taken in by the no. senses because of the. Because the, the mindset, mindset. yeah. That's why was it Will Willis or Will 
Willis Harmon. Willis Harmon, is that? And he said, we can see what we believe. Mm -hmm. You know, what you believe to be true allows you to see it. And so many of us have been brought up in the Western world in which we have had the worldview that there's nothing but matter. This is the only dimension there is, just matter. We are a fluke of nature. There's no meaning, no purpose. And when you're dead, you're dead. And I must say that many of the people I know today still believe that and are convinced of it because we've been told that. But we even know that scientific, we now have quantum theory, which blows up that old materialistic worldview because they are working with many dimensions of reality. It's just astonishing. But it still is true that many people don't know about quantum physics. And they say mm. it takes about a hundred years. Well, we're getting close to that. Gotta catch up. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's it changes everything when we know that there are other dimensions of reality, and that those that we love who have died in the physical body, the physical body has died, that they are just taking that uh, suit off, so to speak, and stepping into the spirit world. Uh, my husband had uh, a very it's almost funny vision after our son died in which uh, he uh, was in like a, a beautiful little sacred water with our son. And he realized that he didn't have a body. And he looked over at a hanger and he saw his body hanging on the hanger. He said, with my jaw hanging down. He said it was really kind of comical. And it, and our son said to him, Dad, there's no reason to fear death. You have done it many times. So we have another caller. Jackie, welcome. Hi. Thank Hi. you. Thank you for calling. Uh, thanks. Well, I have an experience recently. My my husband always told the story of when his father passed away, way before I knew him, um, that his father, a couple of days after he passed away, the phone rang and his mother picked it up and her, she got white as a ghost and said, um, that was your father. And he wanted me, he said, don't forget tomorrow is my birthday. And it was his birthday the next day. So he always told that story. And then my husband got sick and passed away last December. Mm. And when he was dying, I was sitting next to him and I said, when you get up there, I want you to um, find your father and find out how he did that. And I want you to do that for me. <laughs> oh, so, wow. um, so anyway, about a week or so after my husband passed away in December, I was lying in bed. I couldn't sleep. I haven't been able to sleep well for about a year. And um, I'm, I live alone, and I heard I heard some footsteps on the stairway near my bedroom. I'm like, oh my god, did I forget to lock the door? I was I was panicked. I was so panicked. I I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. I was so panicked. And then I opened my eyes. This was not a dream. I I know it was not a dream. I opened my eyes, and I could see the outline of a man, but it. I mean, it didn't look like my husband, but the the outline leaned over and gave me a kiss. And when that happened, I knew it was my husband. Ah, that's and, better than a telephone you know, call. Oh I, that's God. exactly what my sister-in-law said. That is so much better than a telephone call. <laughs> and oh. I said, oh, my God, I know what you please don't go. 
And, but, uh-huh. you know, it was like he went right away. It only lasted, a, you know, a minute, but it was amazing. Mm. So, oh. and I'm sure that was his way of doing uh, one better than his dad did. <laughs> I love say, it. I say, that's pretty special. Oh, I love that story. And, you know, they, they really want us just to know they're still alive and loving yeah. and present. And present <laughs> oh, yes. But evidently it's a, uh, I've heard people talk about how difficult it is, you know, to get that energy to, to form a, an image, for example. How Mrs. Schwartz right. did I don't know. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah. that's just beautiful that he actually came toward oh, yeah. to you and kissed you. It's beautiful. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And I know it wasn't a dream. I was awake. And, know. You know, you know those okay. things. You know when it happens. Yeah. Other people can say whatever. But you know, that's right. Uh, yeah, Jeffrey also I, uses. You go ahead. I'm sorry, Jackie. No, that's, I, you were going to say. Oh, we're just going to say that uh, in the essay he also talks about uh, telephone communication, and that would just be amazing. But I would, I would prefer having a kiss. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely, you know, we're open for anything. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so, thank much, you so Jackie. much, Jackie. That's a beautiful story. It it wonderful. It's something you. you can hold in your heart forever. That's right. Yeah, that was, that was a great experience. And, you know, I've had such a hard time with the grief, but that um, that does help. And, and oh. since then, I've seen, I have gone to a, a medium <clears throat> who was amazing. <clears throat> and um, I've seen lots of different signs and that I know are from him. So it's, it's very helpful. And what you guys do is so helpful too. It's very, it's amazing. But oh, just to, to give some validity to our stories and not blow it off. Some people will look at you like you're crazy, but uh, yeah. you know, you do think you're crazy for a minute, but then I, I know that was real. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, but again, what Kim? No, but you, Jackie, <clears throat> by calling in, offer more validity too. Yes. Everybody who gives their stories. I mean, you know, in uh, Perissetti's book, he has every ethnic group, every historical period, and every type of experience. Oh. And, you know, when you get that kind of weight of, there's the similarities, the patterns you see, the weight of the evidence. If someone who wants to call it woo-woo <laughs> would look at it, mm-hmm. they would no longer allow themselves to do that because the weight of the evidence is absolutely astounding. Yeah. And, you know, the work in reincarnation, too, they, uh, the, the children, uh, I don't know, we shouldn't keep you one, Jackie, if you want. Are you still there? She is. I'm still here, yeah. Oh, great. Well, I'm talking to Jackie. We're talking good. <laughs> great. I just thought about going. But also, he talks about reincarnation. And there's so many studies done. Ian Stevenson talked about it, and there are many people since. And it's just incredible that these young kids know exactly. And they go back to the community. They know where they live. They know what their parents name. They know how they died. Yeah. And some of them have even the... Uh, uh, spots on their body if they were shot or whatever a lot of signs mm-hmm. from what happened to from them the previous yes and that kind of research is absolutely astounding so it's just all it kinds is. of research and in every kind there is a weight of the evidence that's can only be convincing oh yes exactly it, mm-hmm. it's too bad that it's still kind of taboo for a subject but 
Well, it's been a few hundred, yeah, it's been a few hundred years that we've been told that science knows that there's only matter, and we now know that science scientists, when they first started uh, the official uh, organization for the study of science, uh, the church limited their research only to matter, to material things, because they didn't want a bunch of mystics uh, weakening the church. <laughs> you would think right. it seems strange to think that the church would be the ones who censored them. And it's not until the discovery of quantum physics that they have gone beyond matter. And science now is very different science. Mm. Uh, but we've, we've got the brainwashing because we've been conditioned to believe what this... Uh, Material science, not material science has been good in material science, but it didn't go beyond that. But we have been taught to limit ourselves to that view. And it's going to take a while to to go beyond that evidence. Right. Well, Jackie, thank well, you thank so you much. Thank you very much. Thank we you. appreciate your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you would like to call in, you have 15 minutes or so left to have uh, a say so on this program, 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831. You know what I thought would be interesting to share are some of the precognitive experiences that um, you have shared, that you've had, that your son Pishti has had, that your husband Ishpan has had. Yes, it's, uh, yeah, that's true, the precognitive. I. I didn't know sometimes, or I couldn't admit, I think, that they were precognitive. Uh, for two years, I had dreams of my son dying. Um, but in the dream, even, I would just place it. And, oh, it's not Pishti, my son, it's someone else's. And yet I would grieve as though it were my son. And this happened over a two-year period. But I looked at it symbolically, rationally. But I think what was going on, of course, with me is that uh, I didn't, I didn't allow it to come through consciousness as Pishti's death. But it was in my consciousness, uh, unconsciousness, I should say, that I was being told, I was being prepared. I felt that those, all of those precognitive dreams were preparing me on an unconscious level for what was coming. And I'm glad that I didn't consciously perceive it in that way because I continued to live happily and not think well, something dreadful is going to happen. Uh, but when it did, I think I was able to walk through it uh, with greater strength. And then I went back to the dreams because I had kept a record of my dreams. I'm so grateful for that because I could not have seen the patterns in my experiences had I not kept a record of it. And I think we have someone else, so I will hold off on that Pause next story. On the <laughs> and we'll hear from Mary. Hi, Mary. Thanks for calling. Hi. Good evening to you uh, very, very sweet ladies. And, and you, you are such a comfort to me. Um, this is the second time I've called in. Um, I called in in August, but... Um, I keep thinking of things that I want to say, and I have some random events that I would like to share with you. Wonderful. Oh, good. Because um, 
it seems as if I'm one of those people who periodically the veil will lift for me and information comes through. That's probably the most adequate way I have of telling you how things happen in my life. But, Betty, what you just said about precognitive dreams, et cetera, that's certainly true in my case. Um, maybe we could save that conversation and the examples for another time. But okay. here are some things that I jotted down as I began to listen to your program tonight. Uh, the first one deals with the possible case of synchronicity, and I seem to have a lot of that going on in my life. So mm-hmm. here's the example. Um, my second husband died back in 2010, and prior to that, he had an extreme hospitalization. Um, so that would have been about 2005. He was critically sick for weeks and weeks and in a coma for a substantial period of time. Mm -hmm. So when he was dismissed from the hospital into a rehab center, um, by then he had developed a bed sore. It was a fairly large thing. Um, And so yesterday I was just working around the house, and all of a sudden the image of the bed sore, which happened 15 years ago, comes to mind. You know, why would I be thinking about a bed sore? Okay, here's partly the answer. Maybe you'll agree. Could be synchronicity. So last evening I had a call from my late husband's brother. He was calling to check to see how uh, we're doing. Uh, We just speak periodically and kind of catch up on news. So his wife is physically very ill. And I said, well, how is, we'll just call her Susie. How is Susie doing? You know, and Mm -hmm. uh, he said, well, he said about the same, but he said she's developed a really bad bed sore. So I, I you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that certainly is synchronistic. Yeah. And this (laughs) happens to me frequently. Um, And Betty, like you, I've begun to kind of keep tally. And I have a good friend back in the Midwest and she asked me if I would sort of begin to archive my woo-woo experiences. So <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, and I realized then that, you know, I'm not going crazy. If I have to, I could call you ladies and tell you what the heck's going <laughs> right. on. And yeah, you exactly. We'd it. confirm your sanity. That's yeah. Right. You would not yeah. send me uh, to a padded room. So <laughs> no. here's another example. Um, many, many years ago, there was a reporter, and Betty, I think you would probably relate to this. Do you remember a journalistic reporter named Daniel Shore? He may have worked for ABC or CBS. Daniel Shore, I think I do. I think I did. That okay. was a long time ago. Well, he died uh-huh. back in 2010, and I, I happened to look mm-hmm. that up because I, I think mm-hmm. that the date and time may have some relevance to someone in yours and my generation. Well, mm-hmm. so uh, back in 2010... I was waltzing, and I remember just waltzing through the kitchen of our home, and (laughs) suddenly the name Daniel Shore comes into my psyche. You know, Daniel Mm -hmm. Shore, why am I thinking of Daniel Shore? So he passed away two days later. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then at at the top of this this week, this current week, uh, and this is something maybe you can help me with if you have any insights. Um, and I'm not going to say the name because he's currently a politician. He is in the House of Representatives. Um, his name comes 
breaking into my mind. And at the time that it, you know, and and always when these things happen, I'm busy doing the mundane stuff, putting dishes in the dishwasher or Mm -hmm. letting the dog out the back door, but these things just kind of come busting in. So I've made a mental note in his case to go ahead, just lie low on this one and see if he comes up in the news cycle, you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe he'll decide not to run again for his political office due to the the tensions in Washington. There could be a lot of reasons, but I am going to hold on to this one to see if there's any kind of (laughs) follow-up that I see in the news. That's a way to do it. Yeah. Okay, my... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I want to hear from you. Okay. Um, Here is one that I think will be uh, very helpful. I hope it is helpful to any other listeners. This happened uh, at uh, in the early morning hours of October back in 1974. My husband, my young husband, was dying, and we knew, you know, it was just a matter of minutes or hours. Mm-hmm. So he was in a private room. Um, his uh, sisters and father and mother would come in and out of the room and so forth. Well, at any rate, um, I used the restroom in his room, and when I came out, suddenly in front of me there was a picture of a man's arm, and it was, the skin color was sort of dark and swarthy looking, and it was obviously a man's arm due, due to the amount of hair you could see and the musculature and so forth. And um, at any rate... Uh, that happened twice, about four hours before he died. And mm. to me, it was the arm of Jesus pointing at my husband. They are, there. It was just twice a little vision of a man's arm pointing at uh, my husband who was about to leave his physical body. And then um, he was in, of course, one of the singular beds, and there was a, oh... There was a wood-patterned headboard um, at the top of his bed. And at the same time, both his father and I saw a light shining on it. And Mm. his dad immediately zipped out into the hall. My My husband had the last room on the hall. So his father zipped out into the hall to look to see where could this light have come from. You know, we wondered, was somebody shining a flashlight? But no, that wasn't possible. We saw the light going on two times, and it was not a diffused light. It was very, uh, how can I put it, just very, uh, very definite. It was just a definite light. That's amazing. Yeah. So these, when I look back at my life now that I'm an old woman, these things are very much a comfort to me, and I'm so glad to have Forever Family, where you ladies could listen to me gnaw on my words, so to speak. It's it's wonderful, and I think it's, uh, these things nourish our lives, give us meaning and purpose, and with the arm pointing toward your husband, a loving uh, arm, that's interesting that you, I felt it was Jesus, a loving person uh, or being who clearly is multidimensional and masculine yes and, mas- and then the light i think it's 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 beautiful and i think you should you know i hope you are writing down these things and more and more 
we'll see all of the patterns. I mean, even patterns that, that haven't come to you, perhaps, you know, will surprise us. Yes, sure. When you um, said your I'd friend like to... told... Oh, I'm sorry, Mary. When you said your friend told you to write down the rantings and you called them... What did you call them? Because I thought, oh, book title. What was the it? The rantings of my whatever. Or my woo-woo. <laughs> yeah, Say it again, I Mary. don't know. <laughs> Say it one more time, Mary. The, the woo-woo occasions. There you oh. go. Yeah. <laughs> Hardly woo-woo. Spreadsheet. Yep. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Mary, for calling in. And so beautiful. We really appreciate do you, those. Do you have time for another quick? Um, of course. Yeah. Of course. Okay. I, I knew that we were down to a few minutes, but Betty, you mentioned precognitive dreams, and um, boy, did I have them in the six months before my daughter died. Wow. Mm. Wow. Mm, really? Yeah. And, yeah, they they happen. I mean, I could go on and describe them. They were they were very scary. They were very frightening, and there were other types of dreams too. But I often think that that was it was a warning system. Something is going to happen. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, preparing us. Yes, it was a yeah preparation period. So I'll wish all of you a a nice evening and um, appreciate talking with you. Well, you too, Mary. And do call back with some of those experiences. That's right. We yeah, want to hear from you next month. You had said precognitive, but anything that fits, well, fits and within these the about, framework of these kinds of topics, we'd it, love to hear from you. Yeah, and that you have sure. these with your daughter. I would love oh, yeah. to I would love to hear those. So call us back with some of those I experiences. Sure will. Well, I don't want to be one of your, um, uh, well, what could we call it? I don't want to be too much of a frequent caller, but I know. No, I no, really, that's quite all right. When you're comfortable yeah. and want to, we welcome you. Absolutely. Okay. So don't think that way. Well, yes. <laughs> okay, yes. Mary. Well, thank good you. night. Good night. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. And as we come to a close at almost the top of the hour, we'd like to thank Deb, Jackie, and Mary for calling in and daring to share their treasured experiences with us and our audience. We wish you a wonderful rest of the month, and we hope you will join us on the fourth Thursday of October. Okay, yes. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Good night.